0: Good morning, Ridge Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, man. We're glad you're here. Listen, we tend to pick out our tribe of individuals based upon uh, a certain predetermined number of questions that we ask, just about how they kind of do life. And and here's the thing is when we pick out our tribe, we tend to uh, get in our corner of the world and say, this is where I'm comfortable. This is where I'm going to hang out and reside. And and I'm going to reside with people who uh, think a lot like me and, and talk a lot like me and and we have kind of the same beliefs, and maybe the same musical styles, the same look, and all that stuff. And and we tend to isolate ourselves from other people based upon their reaction to certain questions. We say things like this. We say things like, "Well, maybe I'm I'm pro-life and she's pro-choice, and and, and I'm more conservative and he's more liberal, and, and and I tend to believe in this and they tend to believe in that, and and even the things that aren't quite as important, but we say are really important, like, well, uh, she's a vegetarian and I'm a me and 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 they tend to like the Florida State Seminoles, and I don't understand why because I'm a gator, and, 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 and she's an agnostic, and I'm a believer in Jesus, and as soon as we do that, and I'm not saying some of those things are really valid for us to have discussions about. That's not the point, but I'm saying that sometimes we reside in a world where we get in our corner of the world. And we say everyone has to think like us and talk like us and act like us. And and if they don't, and here's the danger in this, if they don't, then I'm going to label them as being the other side, and I think of them as the enemy, and I don't do two things. I don't listen to them, and I definitely don't love them. And everyone does it, and, and, and here's the thing, is, is we were having this discussion a, a while back, and I'm going to explain a little bit later on about kind of where this came from, but we're having this discussion, and I just started to read scripture about this idea, and Jesus came into a world that was just as broken as our world, if not more broken. And he came with this whole new method of doing things that was forever going to change the discussion of what it meant to really pursue God. As we look at that, and especially today, living in the shadow of the resurrection, and I say that both literally and figuratively, literally we're a week removed from Easter. And last week we had a powerful Sunday. It was really cool to see everybody engaged and, and what that looked like, and that was really cool. And literally we're a week removed from that, and Jesus is just as alive today as he was last week. But then figuratively, if we believe that what we celebrated last week and what we continue to celebrate this week that Jesus was, a de- was dead now he's alive, that that truth transcends not just what happened 2,000 years ago, but it transcends how we do life today, how you and I do life today. See, there's this verse over in Romans chapter 8, and it says this, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, Through his spirit who dwells in you. So saying, listen, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells inside of us. And if that's true, the same power he used to raise Jesus now lives inside of us. And because of that, he resurrects in our life a whole new way of doing things. That we should want to engage culture, that we should want to to be different And he calls us to this way higher standard of living, to place value on things the world has never valued, and to say, this is eminently important. See, back in, I think it was back in November, uh, we're kind of hanging out, and, and if you guys have seen this over the course of the past five or six months, it seems like every couple weeks... There's a new emergency happening in our country where everyone has to pop up on on the news stations and on social media and debate what they think on all these different things. And and every four or five weeks, the topic changes. But what happens is we all pick our sides, and we go to our corner, and the only people's opinion that we value are people that are sitting in our corner. And if you're not in my corner of the world, I'm not going to listen to you, and I'm definitely not going to love you. And it was kind of one of those seasons where there was this controversy, it was all over the news, and I remember distinctly, I believe it was between the services, but my buddy David was up singing and and leading us this morning, he was back in the back and we're having this conversation just about the broken, fragmented world that we're living in. And I remember he made this statement, he's like, man, sometimes I just wish we would shut up and hug somebody. And as soon as he said it, like that, that, that phrase just kind of popped up in my mind, and it led to another, uh, a couple of other conversations with him about that topic. And eventually I said, hey man, next year I'd love to, to, to do that as part of a series to talk about that. And I know that you come into church, and you're not used to coming into church and being told to shut up. Like, that doesn't sound, in fact, uh, earlier this week I was on the phone explaining to someone, I was driving my car, and I was on the phone, and I was explaining to someone what the series was about. And my four-year-old was in the back seat behind me. And I was kind of talking, wasn't thinking about it, and I said, shut up and hug somebody. And he's like, Dad, shut up's a bad word. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) you're right, you you got me. But, But here's the thing, when the Bible talks about this idea that we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We live in a world where we're quick to speak, but we're not always willing to listen. And so this series is, 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 is not about abandoning principles or anything like that, but it's about saying that sometimes we have to have a dialogue to let people know, even when there's a huge difference of opinion on things, to still let them know that above everything else, I love you. See, Jesus came in a world, we're going to get into this, he comes with this new command for the world. This new command to love and to embrace the world. And, and, we, and we look at that and we look at kind of the fragmented nature, especially of our country today, and we're saying, man, we're missing this entirely. Sometimes we miss it in the same way that the people, that the religious elite of Jesus' day missed it. But in order for us to understand how we got so fragmented, we have to go back to the very beginning. If you have your Bibles so and you want to open up to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to just explain a little bit of the punishment that happened after the, the fall of humanity, after the first sin that took place, and, and how I believe that relates to this topic of, of where we're going. So in Genesis chapter 3, uh, if you know the story, even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard something about this, about how God had given one rule one law and said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you're going to die. And Adam and Eve were deceived. They did that. And then right in the middle of that, the serpent who was Satan incarnate had, had come and had deceived him. And the scripture I want to read this morning is the judgment being given immediately following that, in particular to the serpent. In verse 13 of Genesis chapter 3, the Lord God comes to the woman and says, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I eat. Verse 14 seems to be the judgment that comes upon serpents because of that. It says this. Because the Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life." So the initial punishment that comes is directly to the serpent itself. Now, I don't know if you're reading this or not, but it says the punishment is on your belly you shall go. Which means literally when the serpent comes up to talk to Eve, it's not on his belly. Like, that would freak me out today if the serpent comes walking up to me, but that's literally what was going on. And, and, but then right after that, so the judgment comes to the serpent, but then after that, God takes it a step further. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between, her, between your offspring and her offspring. Now, some people have read that and said, well, it's just as speaking that, that naturally there's going to be enmity between Man and snakes. How many of you today are scared to death of snakes? Like, mo- how, I know there's some people who love snakes. There's always a few that, that love snakes. There's, there's always a couple, a little bit. Like, um, but, but for the most part, most people today don't like snakes. Some people say, well, it's a natural thing, that because of this that took place, there's a natural thing. But we read a little bit further, and it says that I'm put enmity between you, you and the woman, between her off, your offspring and her offspring. And then it says this, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Literally, in reading that, we realize this is the first ever reference to what's going to take place when Jesus dies for us, that it's because of the the sin that's taken place that one day the, the seed of the serpent, Satan himself, is going to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, who is Jesus, but then he's literally going to crush the head of the serpent. It's literally the first time we see in this small kind of punishment that's coming a picture of what the gospel is going to be about. But in that it says this, there's going to be enmity between the seed of the woman, meaning all of mankind, and also the seed of the serpent. And so that literally from that day on, the enemy, Satan himself and and his legion have been trying to, to trip us up, to bring about destruction, and that there should be this enmity between us and him, but that at some point... Because we have a tendency to corrupt everything, at some point, we took that enmity that was supposed to be this natural enmity between the two of us, and we started to project it upon other people. And sin started to become more and more rampant. And instead of us saying, because the word enmity means a strong dislike or hatred towards, instead of there being enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, there ends up being enmity and hatred between other human beings, And we jump into our corners and we say, this is where I'm comfortable, and here's my tribe of people, here's the people that I connect with, and if you don't agree with me on some of these topics, then you're the enemy, and we're never supposed to be enemies of each other. That's never the way that we're supposed to be. But we, instead of having the enemy who's supposed to be there, we project that enemy on somebody else. And when we do that, we limit them to a choice they made. We limit them to a one particular, of many beliefs, to one particular belief and say, because you don't agree with me on this one particular topic, you're my enemy. You're fighting against me. And it's into that world that Jesus says, I have to come and I have to change that. You see, something takes place after the first sin. Something takes place and God says, I have to come and try to correct this. I have to fix this. There was one rule, they broke the rule, and because they broke the rule, now mankind's going crazy, there's murders, I have to come in and I have to fix this. And he starts to give out the law. And I want to be careful as I explain this, because in the New Testament, I'm going to explain a little bit later that Jesus comes with this new command. In the New Testament, the the Bible calls the law holy and just and good. It's not that the law was, was wrong. Because in the Old Testament, we have 611 different commands to help govern and and legislate mankind. Here's the laws that God gives us. And those laws are given, and, and they're meant to be holy and just and good. But what happens over time is that which is meant to be good, because of our brokenness, we have a tendency to corrupt. Some people started to fall in love more with the law than they fell in love with the lawgiver. They started to take pride in their ability to follow the law. In fact, by the time Jesus comes around, there are people who are called experts in the law. They love the law because the law allowed them to separate themselves from everybody else. And if I can follow the law to the letter of the law, not worrying about the spirit of the law, but if I can follow the law to the letter of the law and nobody else can, then it's going to make me better than everybody else. I love to watch people and how people relate to different things, and everybody's wired a little bit differently. How many of you would say this? Because there are people in life that are just natural rule followers. And from what I have seen, just by observation, it's almost half-half, 50-50, maybe, maybe a little bit less, 40-60, of people who say, yes, I know I'm a natural rule follower, and I know that I'm not. So, so he, I want to ask a question of us, just to kind of take a, a quick unscientific poll. How many of you know right away, I'm a natural rule follower? All right, how many know right away, that's not me, I'm a natural rule bender, Okay, about 50-50. Some are like, I'm not sure exactly where I identify that. That's fine. Uh, first service was, was very high. There are a few, few rule followers in first service. They're crazy. Uh, a, a bunch of rule benders. But, but here's the thing, is that I find myself to be, by nature, and I think sometimes it has to do with birth order and sometimes it has to do with the way you're raised, I find myself to be, by nature, more of a rule follower. If someone drew a line in the auditorium this morning, if there's no chairs and someone drew a line and said, don't walk across that line, I wouldn't understand why, but I'd be like, all right, someone must know why there's a reason for this. I wouldn't really question that. But everyone's wired a little bit differently, but I started to see this. Because in my life, early on, I kind of realized that, but I I also said, man, I want to show grace. I know not everyone's wired that way. And, And so it really doesn't bother me that much. There are some people who are rule followers who say, man, you have to do everything just right, and if you don't do things just right, it messes up society, everything doesn't function as it should, and so some people who are like natural rule followers take that to the extreme. That doesn't really bother me, except for in one specific scenario, and even some of you who are natural rule benders are going to hear this and say, yeah, that frustrates me too. Well, sometimes you'll be driving, maybe you'll be driving on I-4, and you'll see a, a sign that says... That up ahead, two miles ahead, it's going from three lanes to two lanes. In two, in, in two miles, so two miles ahead, they start to let you know. And so, two miles, that's not that big a deal. But about a mile out, it says lanes closing in one mile. And at that point, for me, as soon as I know that that lane's okay, we're well, within that final mile, I start to get over to the middle lane. And if my lane's one closing, I wanna make sure that I'm not adding to the, the friction that the traffic is gonna experience. About a half mile out, Traffic starts to get backed up, and there's always that one guy. Everyone else is in line. Everyone else is kind of, the traffic's flowing really, really, really slowly if moving at all. And there's that one guy that drives by on the right-hand side. He passes everybody, and he gets down all the way to the end, and then he merges in. Now, in the first service, I just got to share this. In the first service, someone raised his hand and said, That's me. If that's you, I'm not sure. That's, because here's the thought that goes in my mind. A lot of times stuff like this doesn't frustrate me. But when I see that person, I'm thinking, first of all, is your time that much more valuable than mine? That you don't have to wait like the rest of us. But number two and the prevailing thought is this. If everybody didn't do what you're doing, if everybody got over and merged when they were supposed to, nobody would be hung up in this traffic. And, like, <laughs> someone's experiencing my frustration. I'm like, man, it just, they told us ahead of time. If, and, and I would get so frustrated. And it said that moment that I realized that my attitude in that moment is a lot like the attitude of the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. See, the older brother said, Dad, I've been following the rules the right way my whole life. My younger brother goes out. He doesn't follow the rules. He goes and wastes your money. He loses it all. He parties. Dad, I've heard the stories of what he's done. And he comes back. And when he comes back, not only do you embrace him, but you throw a party for him. And, Dad, I've been here all along. Like, I've obeyed the rules. I've followed the rules. And you've never thrown a party like this for me. And it's in those moments that I realized that for every one of us, we have a general tendency To, if I follow the law, I can fall so much in love with the law that I forget the reason why the law is there. And as I forget the reason why the law is there, I fall more in love with the law than I do in the lawgiver. And I fall more in love with the law than I do in the people who respond in brokenness to having broken the law. I find my attitude and my character in that moment looks a whole lot more like the older brother... In the story of the prodigal son. So, by Tommy, at the New Testament, there are people who are experts in law who say, Man, I got this figured out. I'm going to focus on the law. And Jesus comes and he starts to bring this teaching that's so different, so revolutionary. And it's why the people who were the religious elite of his day felt so threatened. It's because they knew that my status is only because I've figured out a way to, to make myself look superior because of my adherence to a, a set of rules. And Jesus comes and says, you know those 611 laws that were given in the Old Testament? I'm going to whittle them down to two really, really big things. And it's not even about what you do. It's about why you do what you do. And Jesus says, those 611 laws can be whittled down to two things love God and love people. And all the people who were among the elite, these were religious people. They looked at that and they said, that's threatening our whole way of doing life. Because our power is found in our ability to obey this law to the letter of the law. And if they questioned their heart at that moment, they'd found they were found wanting that they didn't love God. And they didn't love people. They knew to follow the laws, they felt pride in following the law. But even their own religiosity had left them in competition with everybody else. In fact, this wasn't just Old Testament Judaism. This was every other major world religion of their day. Their success in their religion was based upon how well can I follow these preconceived ideas of what our religion is supposed to be about about the moral teachings of our religion. And then Jesus comes with this crazy teaching and says it's not about that stuff at all, but instead it's about how much you love God and how much you love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus comes with this teaching and turns on his head everything that religion had taught up until that point love God and love people. It focused on the why. Because Jesus knew if we could figure out the why, the what would take care of itself. You see, if I, if I follow the law because I love God, it's going to, in my life, start to produce, maybe not right away, but it's going to start to produce a desire in my life to do right. And if in my heart I love people, the first four of the Ten Commandments had to do with our relationship with God. The second six have to do with our relationship with each other. And so if I genuinely love people, I don't have to be taught not to kill them. I don't have to be taught not to steal from them because genuinely my actions are guided not by a desire to follow a bunch of laws, but my actions are guided by my ability to love them. so Jesus comes and says, this is it. I'm going to give you a new command. If you have your Bibles open up to the book of God, uh, the, the book of John, the Gospel of John chapter 13. If you have your app and you're using a Bible app, I'd encourage you to highlight these verses if you're reading your Bible, underline these verses, especially the last two verses we're gonna read. But beginning at verse 31, it says this. When he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a while I will be with you, You'll come seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so not and I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then verse 34, this is where the rubber really starts to hit the road. He says this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have loved one for another. He says, you know all those commands you had in the Old Testament, those 600 laws and all the, all the laws that have been added by the time the New Testament comes around. They say it wasn't even enough to have those 600 laws, but the religious leaders had created separate books of how do you apply the law in this specific scenario. And they had all these laws, and, and their spiritual identity was based upon their adherence to those laws. And Jesus comes and says, I'm giving you a new command. I'm giving you a separate teaching that's actually a fulfillment of what was intended in the Old Covenant. And when I come, I'm making obsolete what was written before because I'm giving you this new command. And the new command is simple, love. And he says, in fact, this is how powerful this is. A new commandment I give to you to love one another. And not only am I going to give you the new command, but I'm going to tell you how you're supposed to live out that command. Love one another as I have loved you. We're only a couple weeks removed from Holy Week where we look at the death, how much Jesus sacrificed on our behalf. And Jesus says, and this is before that, Jesus says, by the way, I'm gonna give you the picture of what sacrifice is about. And when I do that, I want you to learn to love as I have loved you. This is the new command. The new commandment isn't to give you a bunch of laws and rules and precepts. The new commandment is simply to love. Love. Love as I have loved you. And then it says this. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Now, if we are writing that part out right now, or if culture are writing out this part right now, by this, the world will know that you're the disciples of Jesus. What do you think they'd put in that next line? There's probably a lot of things. See, the world will judge how strong we are and how serious we are about our faith, about things like, well, do you go to church on a regular basis? Do you support in, in some way financially? you get plugged in in, in service and, and, and serving in some area. Are you going on mission trips? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you doing these things? And the world would look at all of those things and say, that's how, that's a test of being a disciple. But Jesus says this, by this the world will know that you're my disciples. That you have love one for another. See, this is so foreign to their preconceived ideas of what it meant to be a religious person. In their culture, it was every man for himself, even in the religious world. I have to work towards their version of whatever salvation looked like in their religion. And and so I want to beat everybody else because if I I beat them, it's going to make me look better. And Jesus starts this movement, and eventually the churches begin, because of that, saying, here's going to be the motivating factor, not that we get off better than everybody else, but that we start to learn how to serve and to love the people around us. He said, this is going to be so foreign, but he's saying, I'm telling you, this movement, if we get this, is going to spread. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, because you're following that command to love. And Jesus commands us to do that, to love. When I first started going to church, I remember we had a, a speaker, he's fairly famous in our circles, he's coming out to come to speak at our church and and I remember I was really excited, and he started to share the story that his family, he, he grew up in a family where at least his, his grandparents weren't necessarily believers, and, and, he, and he got saved, and he started saying, man, I want to I see uh, my, my family reach. And he started going to church, and he started going to his Bible college, and his, the town he was in, his grandmother lived in that town. And so he, he made it his habit to go over there on a regular basis. And he talked to his grandmother about Jesus and, and what Jesus would do for her life. And, and he kept doing that. And, and, and finally, after multiple visits, he came and invited his grandmother again to church. And she walked him out to, she had a little patio on, on the front porch, and she walked him out to the front porch. They stood on that porch, and they looked out, and right across the street there was a small Baptist church. And she looked at him, and she said, David, his name was David. She said, David, you see that church right there? She said, every Sunday morning, I see people leaving that church, and they're fighting. They're talking bad about each other. They just look miserable. And she said, if that's what being a Christian is, I want no part of it. By this the world will know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. They said, this is going to be so foreign that the world's going to sit up and take note and say, wow, this group of people really is different from anything else that we've seen. And literally it's because of this idea that we're going we're gonna to get away from our corners and we're going to get, gonna get to this middle ground to have these discussions that the movement of Christianity spreads unlike anything the world had ever seen. Why? Because Jesus says, this new commandment I give you to love one another. And by this world will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for each other. Jesus says you are supposed to love other believers in the church. He says we're supposed to love people within our community. He says we're supposed to love the world. He says we're even supposed to love our enemies. And yet we've made our enemies our enemies, and we say, I'm not going to listen to you, let alone love you. Earlier this week, you probably saw some of the news reports that we're 50 years removed from... Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. losing his, his life, and they're celebrating that and remembering him. And Andy Stanley, he's a pastor up in Atlanta, he shared this tweet earlier this week, and as soon as I read it, I said, that's exactly what this series is all about. But Andy said it this way, to bring two sides together requires one stand in the middle. To stand in the middle makes one vulnerable to attacks from both sides. The dangerous middle was where Dr. King chose to stand. His legacy is an invitation to abandon our corners and move towards one another. He says, here's what we're supposed to do. If we're going to have this dialogue, the best thing we could do is we have our tribe of people, and we're kind of, this is where our comfort zone is. And the best thing we can do is to, to let go of that comfort zone, to abandon our corners and to come to the middle, and to be able to have a dialogue. You see, that's exactly what Dr. King stood for, and that's what he tried to do was to abandon his corner and move towards one another. I love that idea, to abandon our corners. But what does it look like to abandon our corners today? It does not mean that we have to abandon our faith. That's not the point at all. It does not mean we compromise our convictions. As a matter of fact, there were often times in Jesus' life that he had to address specific issues. And he had to do so at times forcefully. We'll actually talk about that in the third week. But the point being that even when we disagree, that we disagree in a way that I want to let you know that I disagree with this choice, but I still love you. And when the people that I care about have success, man, I celebrate with them. We live in a culture today because we want to climb that ladder faster than everybody else. If someone else, even someone else we care about, gets that promotion or gets that raise or, or, or gets that award, we start to think, well, because they got that and I didn't, are they better than me? We find this level of competition. and We're not being motivated by love. And Jesus comes and says, this is the motivating factor. This is why we do what we do. And so because of that, it means that love drives everything that we do. See, since the original sin took place, it wasn't too long until that enmity enmity began to multiply. We'll talk more about that next week. But it became natural for people in that moment to start to dislike each other, to be in competition with each other. And even when religion was added, we had a tendency to compete with each other. Because of our sin nature, it became natural for us to hate. Hate comes naturally. To love is supernatural. See, hate, just the way that we're wired is that eventually because we want to one-up everybody else, it becomes natural in our life. We didn't mean to, and then we start to find these feelings that we say, I don't want to to identify those feelings, but I keep feeling these things come up. It's because for every one of us, we have this nature to do wrong. But to love is to go above that nature. To say, I want to leave my corner because we all have corners of comfortability. And I wanna go to that middle ground and have a conversation. Even if it means that we're not necessarily gonna agree, it says I'm gonna leave my middle ground. And in doing that, both sides are gonna take issue with me. But this is what I've been called to do. See, Jesus knew this idea. He knew this movement had to spread, He knew the message of His resurrection had to spread. And the way this message, this movement was gonna spread, was not based upon the power of the words of the disciples. It was not going to spread based upon the authority of that first group of believers because they had neither a really powerful tool to be able to broadcast their message, nor did many of them have a lot of authority. And so Jesus says the only way this message is going to spread, it's not going to be on the influence of its adherence. It's not going to be on the strength of their ability to do the task they've been called to do. The way this message is going to spread is that they're going to love better than everybody else. And they did that. They did that in in dire circumstances. They did that even when they knew at great peril, even loss of their own life, that I'm going to choose to love, to embrace my community, to pray for them, to share this message, not in judgment, not in hatred, not in enmity, but in love. So our challenge throughout this series is to do that to love better than everybody else. And that doesn't mean necessarily that physically we have to go up and hug somebody. Because some people are freaked out by that. How many are huggers, you okay with hugs? How many are like, no, stay away from me? <laughs> some people are like, they're like, I don't want to raise my hand, but that's where I'm at. Some people are freaked out by that. That's okay, we're all wired differently. But every one of us desires relationships in some way or form. We're all looking for that. An admonition of scripture and the challenge of this series is to shut up at times. Not to be so quick to broadcast my opinion, but to shut up and hug somebody, to let them know that they matter. You see, we think that if we win an argument, we win influence. Every one of us wants influence, and so we think if I can just win an argument, I'm going to win influence. The problem is, is that we see this happen all the time on social media where people take their arguments. And I've not seen one person get up on Facebook and win an argument on Facebook. We all just think, well, if everybody just listens, I, I figured out and I, I got this and I'm gonna share my opinion and everyone's gonna come around to my side. Winning an argument doesn't win influence. Winning people does. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you paved the path for us. You showed us how to win people, not by winning an argument, but by by giving your life. And God, legitimately, you call us as your followers to do the very same thing, not to win an argument, but to win people. And we do that by loving better than everybody else. God, there's times I look at the church today, and I think we've had the same gravitational pull that the that the early religious leaders experienced. Those that even fought against Jesus and oppressed Jesus. They met well. They want to follow his letter of the law well. But they got away from the heart of the message. And Jesus comes, says, a new command I give to love. To love as he loved us. God, I pray that as we leave here, we believe this valuable idea that when we bring Jesus into our life, that Jesus makes our life better and he makes us better at life. God, I pray first and foremost that there's anyone who's ever ne- who's never experienced that before, that today that experienced the love of Jesus in a powerful way, and for those who have experienced Him, God, I pray that we leave here challenged to, to love better than everybody else, because the world's not going to know that we're your disciples because of the way that we go to church, because of the music that we listen to, because of the way that we drive our cars, the world's going to know that. We're your disciples based upon the way that we love each other. God, leave us here with that challenge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.